0: From NATO Allied Command Transformation in Norfolk, Virginia, this is the Innovation Podcast, a discussion forum on the practice, strategy, and value of innovation as a critical tool for strengthening the NATO alliance. On July 5th, 2022, following the NATO summit, Finland and Sweden formally confirmed their willingness and ability to meet the political, legal, and military obligations and commitments for NATO membership. Today, we're joined by Bruce Hutchison to discuss the accession and military integration processes for both countries to join the alliance. Between 2018 and 2021, Bruce coordinated military integration for Allied Command transformation for Montenegro and North Macedonia, and is now assuming that same role for Sweden and Finland. In addition to this task, Bruce serves as Staff Officer for Centers of Excellence Coordination within the COE Program Development Branch of ACT. Prior to 2014, Bruce was appointed to a range of posts over a 32-year career with the Royal Navy, including a selection to command AEW helicopter squadrons and senior staff appointments in the UK at the Royal Navy's Command Headquarters and abroad. Bruce, it's great to speak with you today.
1: Hi. Good afternoon, Adam.
0: So, before we get to accession and integration, first, I'm wondering how these nations made the decision to join the alliance?
1: Well, it it really is, um, I think it's been described by the Secretary General as a momentous decision taken by both Finland and Sweden. Uh, both have been very close partners with the NATO alliance for many, many years, since the early 90s and be, before. And uh, I think mm-hmm. there's always been a growing movement in both nations to consider joining the alliance. But with uh, Russia's um, aggression in Ukraine, starting out in February, I think that was a spur in both nations and not just at the political level. I think it was with the population themselves who realized that uh, that Putin wasn't beyond uh, invading a neighbor. And... They, both Sweden and Finland uh, sought to uh, come to terms with the fact that they, they they wanted a greater relationship with the alliance. And actually, uh, across the political spe- spectrum in both nations, there was an agreement and, and they thought they should poll the people and they, they, they did various polls in both nations. And there was, I think, over 70% across the spectrum in, in mm-hmm. both nations that wanted to join the alliance. So that's... That was a pretty strong message that they were sending in response to uh, the the Russian annexation of Eastern Ukraine and and yeah. invasion and acts.
0: In other words, this decision was driven more by the populations themselves than the political class.
1: Yes, that's right. It's it's ultimately a democracy in action, when something that may not have been um, fully taken on board by all the parties involved in both nations, but actually they they listened to the people and they acted. So, what's the first step of the accession process? Okay, so you you referred to the uh, the fifth of July, that was when the uh, what's known as the accession protocols uh, were signed by the uh, by the two nations and the other members of NATO, and those are the protocols where both nations made their commitment uh, to join the alliance, and all the political sides and requirements to become a member of the alliance were signed, and those protocols. Uh, were signed on the 5th of July, and they are now uh, with all the other allies, the 30 allies, for what is called ratification. And ratification means that each one of the allies in their own parliamentary process ratifies that decision for for these two nations to join. And Mm. normally that can take, in previous... um, uh, members joining that can take uh, sometimes up to year over year for all the other nations to go through their own individual parliamentary processes. Some of them involve votes, some of them uh, it's it's a council decision, sometimes it's a presidential decision. but it is the own nation's process as to how they ratify this protocol. Between July and now, uh, as we speak, twenty eight of the thirty nations have actually already ratified. Those protocols so through the summer period, through August into September, 28 uh, have actually ratified. So that is a that's an incredible message that the the allies want to see this get get done, uh, get done quickly and get these two uh, incredible nations uh, into the alliance. Mm-hmm. The thing I would emphasize is that the signing of the protocol was the agreement for Finland and Sweden to join the alliance. The ratification process is an administrative process done by each nation to confirm That decision uh, and the signing of the protocol that happened in the 5th of July. Uh, That is not something we here in ACT can affect. Uh, Clearly, Mm -hmm. it's a decision within their own
0: parliaments. um, And there's lots of discussions of that going on. So accession ratification is monitored by the international staff at NATO HQ in coordination with those nations individually. Is that right? That's correct. All nations
1: are represented at NATO headquarters, and so there, there will be conversations taking place, I presume, whether daily or not, uh, with those two nations and their political and military representatives at NATO headquarters as to, as to how that ratification process is going.
0: Okay. And then, of course, there's military integration, coordinated by Allied Command Transformation, ACT, uh, and that's what you're working on. And that process runs simultaneous to accession ratification. So describe how that works. So once the accession protocol was signed on the 5th of July,
1: then we, we commence what's called the military integration process, the, the I bit of accession and integration. And that is where uh, the the strategic commanders, SACUR and SACTI, are tasked to commence the process of ensuring that the two nations can be interoperable and integrate into the alliance's military structures, mm-hmm. and this, this is where ACT comes in because uh, uh, SACT is given the lead to coordinate the military integration process with the two nations. And as you say, this happens in parallel with the accession, um, and this is something that we we started quite quickly afterwards. So the protocol was signed on the fifth of July, and a couple of weeks later. Um, 20th of July, if I remember correctly, we held our first uh, initial integration conference with both um, uh, Finland in the morning and then in the afternoon, Sweden, and formally commenced the military
0: integration process. Yeah. So w- w- let's get into some details now. So what does military integration mean, uh, practically speaking? So it it's across everything. It's... Um, it's
1: everything that you that that the military could consider as to what how does NATO do it how does our nation do it and are they the same and and can they be combined, or does the nation need to change slightly or amend its processes and procedures, and we break it down into the military integration into what's known as functional areas. In other words, stuff that 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 makes that interoperability happen, and there are ten functional areas, and I will list them. Um, yeah. Um, but I'll go through them slowly. But the first one, even though I say ten, the the first one actually breaks down into four of its own. But the first one is called administration. Sounds boring. What does administration have to do with military integration? Well, it it actually includes some uh, very uh, important stuff. Legal is the is the main one, not just military legal, but legal across government, cross government legal approach. Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Ministry of Justice, etc. Are there legal uh, rules and regulations? harmonized with those of NATO, whether it's the NATO treaty itself, whether it's various agreements and technical arrangements and all that legal stuff uh, that, uh, that, that is required for nations to operate together and perhaps, uh, if needed, defensively go into battle together. So the, the legal piece is a large area and, and indeed they will hold their own separate legal workshop um, at the end of this month. So another part of the administration functional area is gender, uh, and that is uh, to ensure that gender as a thought and as a process throughout the armed forces of both Finland and Sweden corresponds to the ideals of NATO. The third part of administration, this is a big one, it's called contribution to the NATO command structure. In other words, how many Finnish armed forces personnel or Swedish uh, military personnel are going to join the various commands and headquarters of the NATO command structure. Uh, And that would also include their flag and general officers, how many of them are going to take uh, head positions in some of the commands. The final one of administration, uh, and once again, should not be an issue for Sweden, and, uh, Sweden and Finland is language skills. So, for a nation to be joining uh, the alliance, clearly they need to be able to communicate. Uh, English is the primary language, with French as as, as the other language. And uh, for Sweden and Finland, they've already proven as solid partners over the years that they have they have no issues communicating. Um, Probably better than I can
0: with uh, some of our counterparts. Okay, so that's the first of the the ten functional areas for military integration. And just to summarize, it's it's broken into those four subcategories, legal, gender, contribution to the NATO command structure, and then language, but all falling under the broader area of administration. Okay, what's next? what are the what are the other nine areas? The second functional
1: area uh, is equipment and modernization. Once again, the modernisation part is, should not be an issue for Sweden and Finland. They have modern capable forces. But equipment, the question there is, is their equipment, tanks, airplanes, ships, etc., is that interoperable with NATO forces? And does each of the nation have a, a long-term development capability plan? So that is quite an important piece of work. The third one is force structure. This is uh, this is about how they're aircraft, land units and air units and ships and maritime units, how do they fit into a NATO force structure? And this would be uh, for a contribution, shall we say, to NATO operations or other missions or an operational capability that they can bring immediately, perhaps in the NATO response force. And also this would be practiced through exercises and, and other events. This is very important, clearly at the moment with the ongoing uh, Russian invasion in Ukraine and the threat to NATO and NATO's defensive posture, it would be very important for Finland and Sweden to be able to fit into uh, an operational uh, mission if and when required, but a very, very urgent and important uh, functional area. So that's the third functional area. Yes. The next two I'll I'll sort of lump together. Uh, So four and five would be about education and training. The first one is education training policy and their individual education and training. So how do you train a soldier, sailor or airman? And is that aligned with NATO's education training policies? And the second part of that is then how do you collectively train and exercise with other NATO allies and personnel? And as I said, both Finland and Sweden have been doing that for some years, but only as partners. So up to a limited point, uh, because as partners, there's only so much uh, that can be shared. Uh, some of the some of the uh, exercises are not open to partners. And clearly, the integration of Finland and Sweden across the spectrum of education and training needs to be done from the high-level policy right down to uh, more tactical-level uh, basic exercises. So that's four and five. The next one is logistics. How does the national logistics doctrine of Finland and Sweden... Is that compatible with that of NATO? Do they need to revise their doctrine in in accordance with NATO standards? How do they think that they would be resupply, rearm, etc.? Can they even use the same sort of equipment that other NATO allies use? And once again, that crisscrosses with uh, legal, because there's many legal uh, and technical um, bits of doctrine and and agreements that that need to be examined and make sure that they are uh, entirely interoperable. So that was number six. Number seven, medical. Um, the medical capabilities that both those nations have are very good. We know that. How can they integrate with the rest of NATO? We know that both their uh, both their medical areas uh, rely very much on their civilian medical um, organisations, and how can that be um, integrated into uh, one whole NATO piece? And then back into the operational sphere, number eight. This is where you integrate the two nations into what's called NATO's Integrated Air and Missile Defence System, or a wonderful NATO acronym, NATINADS. That is uh, that is a, that's a large area of of airspace, and uh, above those two nations, up in the Baltic region and, and north, and absolutely they should be able to share their picture with the rest of NATO. Uh, there should be aircraft, NATO aircraft, not just Swedish and, and Finnish aircraft, should be able to pre- protect their skies, known as air policing, and all the technical agreements with the other nations as to who can land where and who can fly where, and what's the, the, the picture and who's protecting which piece of uh, piece of airspace. That is a vital part of the, uh, the interoperability and integration of those two nations and something that's being worked on daily at the moment. And then the last two, we're back into the technical area, I mentioned it earlier number 9 is the communication
0: information systems the uh communications basically right cis and and the lead for cis is nato communications and information agency
1: yes that's right how do we talk to these nations whether securely uh, unclassified it can be telephone no- networks it can be satellite comms it can be tactical level it can be government to government or or parliament to parliament or ministry of defence with 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 the rest of nato uh, there's an awful lot of bits of kit that need to be uh, integrated between their own systems and those of NATO. And it's uh, and it's not always easy. Uh, there might be crypto involved and there's, uh, there's various uh, bits of technical wizardry that need to be thought about and, and worked through. And then the, the last one, which used to be uh, tied in as part of CIS, but now stands on its own, is cyber defence. And uh, clearly there's a there is a large cyber threat out there, not just from Russia, but from other uh, male actors as well, and their policies, and especially if you're linking into NATO, uh, they need to be examined. How do they assure their information? How? What are their capacities for information security? And do they need to develop their, or change or amend their own national military cyber defence capabilities? So there's a whole piece there about how they integrate and, and talk and, and, and take care of their information and NATO's information. So that's, that's the 10 functional areas. They are quite complicated, I think. Some of them are more complex than others. Um, both nations are not exactly at the same stage across all 10 functional areas, um, but the conversation has started.
0: So, those are the 10 functional areas of military integration. Um, and, and what is ACT's role specifically in this process? What does ACT do? So we are tasked
1: by the international military staff at, uh, at NATO HQ to coordinate what's known as the practical aspects of military integration. So we coordinate, and we do that with SHAPE and the other joint and, and uh, uh, single-service component commands. Um, we coordinate the practical aspects of military integration across those 10 areas in other words we bring experts from nato in those 10 functional areas together with the hopefully the experts from the nation and we basically bang their heads together and say what is it we think the nato the, the, the nation needs or what or ask the the, nat- the nation themselves what do you think you need to be
0: uh, fully interoperable with nato and what does this all look like in practice? How do you actually sort through these ten functional areas? So we we basically stood up for each
1: one of the for Finland and for Sweden. We did it through uh, starting up a working group, and a working group. It's called the Accession Integration Working Group. Basically, uh, we we held our first meetings uh, two weeks ago in mid September. The first one for two days in Helsinki with the with Finland, and there we had about thirty NATO subject matter experts i'll call them from across those 10 areas and we brought them into a large room and finland brought their experts from those 10 functional areas and then we broke them up into uh, breakout rooms for the best part of a day and discussed where the nation thought it was in terms of these functional areas uh, you know to try and establish what support that nato could provide to the nation because one, one point that I would make try and make clear is that the responsibility for the military integration of a nation into alliance absolutely rests with the nation. NATO is there to help. NATO will support, and, and SACTI leads that support. But actually, the responsibility is for the nation to establish what its own plan is to to integrate into
0: the alliance. Yeah. So when you say there, there are uh, there, there's a working group for each nation, and uh, it it really is a, a group. It sounds like everybody's in the in the room together.
1: Yes, and and one of the one of the early conversations that we had before we held the first conference, shall we say, in in July, uh, one of the bits of direction that we got from NATO HQ was they are two separate nations. You cannot just have one meeting with. Finland and Sweden in the same room together at the same time because they will have different issues Mm -hmm. some of these areas so we have to set up two uh, separate accession integration working groups the NATO people frankly are the same so we all went to Helsinki and then they put us in a bus we went to the airport and we flew to Stockholm and we held the same meeting that we'd held for two days with Finland we held it for two days with with Stockholm uh, with Sweden but it wasn't the same answers that we got each Mm -hmm. time they're running together. They're running at the same speed. Will will one be quicker than the other? I don't know. And it's not it's not a race, as we tell. And the only reason that Finland gets the first meeting is because their letter is before Sweden in the alphabet.
0: But what these working groups are ultimately striving for is interoperability, isn't it? Yes.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's and. and They'll never. No nation will ever say that they're they're 100% interoperable. There's always uh, capabilities required. There's always some more training. There's always some um, something else that could be done. But what we're trying to do is get these two nations to a stage where it becomes routine, normal business as is uh, as any other ally in NATO. So while we talk about you know how many people are going to be in the NATO command structure, for instance, they're not going to achieve that within six months. But they will have put in place a plan to achieve that maybe over the next two to three years or four years or whatever that plan is. But we will will continue the uh, working group, bringing all those functional areas together until we can collectively recommend that, hey, we no longer need a working group to coordinate this. We're at a stage now that there's plans in place. This is routine business. They're already a member of the working group or the committee at NATO headquarters that deals with, I don't know, logistics or medical or, or whatever it is. They already have it trained enough people that they they can stand on their own two feet. Frankly, that can take up to three years with some nations.
0: We're hoping it's going to be a short, less,
1: a, a, a lot, a, a lot uh, shorter than that with both Finland and Sweden.
0: For something of of this size and scale to move at this speed, I mean it's. It's pretty remarkable. And I'm wondering, you know, what do you think is motivating the speed of this process?
1: Oh, boy, there's, well, not just in the nations themselves. In NATO, these nations are capability providers. They bring a lot to the party, and the the NATO terminology stronger together is absolutely spot on here. With these two nations uh, supporting the other 30, or joining with the other 30, it really does make uh, NATO's northern flank, shall we call it, a lot tighter, um, a lot more assured. Uh, these are mature nations with great capability, whether it's in Finland, who has a, a, a long land border uh, with Russia. And they uh, they are, shall we say, their expertise in land warfare and in that area is is clearly second to none. And Sweden has a vast array of, of capabilities as well, whether it's air, on the sea, below the sea, and on land as well. And both those nations have been very interoperable already as partners um, with NATO. And to take that stage further to, to be allies, they, they will be, um, I think, a, a great strengthening of the alliance. And, I, you know, the the other
0: 30 nations know this. So what happens the moment all 30 nations finally ratify the accession protocols? What happens then? So um, the as I
1: understand it, and um, I always say that because I'll get into trouble from the legal people, but they have to deposit those articles of accession in Washington. And once that has happened, the Secretary General will then be in a position to invite the two nations uh, with having agreed and been ratified by all 30 He would invite them to accede to the alliance, to join the alliance, and to signify that by the raising of the flags. Nothing more, nothing less. So the the, the 30th Nation has ratified the protocols. They Mm -hmm. deposited in Washington, and then they can set about uh, making sure there's two flagpoles free, and up would go the flags of the Republic of Finland and the Kingdom of Sweden would be raised to uh, national anthems being played, etc., and those two nations from that second on would be absolute full members of the alliance uh, with the same Article 5 rights, which are the important one, attack and on one, attack and on all, uh, and all the rest of the uh, legislation that goes on with being a full member of NATO. The military integration process would still continue, and we would still hold the same meeting in the uh, beginning of December, and we would still hold another working group probably in March time next year in the capitals. And at some stage, the working group would make the recommendation that it is no longer required for the coordination of the of across these functional areas because the nations have reached the stage where it has become routine normal business for those two new allies. When that happens, I don't know i would I would consider sometime in in twenty three the earlier the better, depending on the progress made across the ten functional areas.
0: So what's this experience been like for you? How significant is it?
1: I think, and I'll speak for myself here, but I I have heard it from other NATO people. So I've worked in NATO for both in uniform and now as a civilian uh, for getting on to 19 years or something. I don't think I've ever been prouder of the work that we are doing. And I say I'm not the only one that says it because it is momentous. And sitting with the the people from Finland and Sweden and seeing their enthusiasm and their, their clear and utter professionalism, it can only make NATO better, stronger, but better with them joining. So I, I'm actually quite, uh, I have a little proud look at myself uh, in the mirror of a morning uh, saying, yeah, I think you're helping here, Bruce. So uh, so we're keen to do it. Um, uh, they're the right people and... and and it's it's a good thing, considering <laughs> what it was four year four months ago that we uh, we were not and uh, we were not expecting to be doing this at all, uh, and it came out of the blue in sort of March April time. It's uh, it's been quite a fast process. As uh, General Levine, my uh, my French four star would say, we are I think acting at the speed of relevance, and uh, and it's the relevance I think that counts here.
0: Bruce, thanks for your time today. Really very informative. Uh, There's uh, certainly a lot to look forward to here.
1: Absolutely. It's been a real pleasure talking about it. As I said earlier, I'm I'm proud to be involved. And if people want to know about it, please come and look me up in, in ACT. I'm willing to chat about this anytime.
0: Great. Well, thanks very much. Thank you.